Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we're continuing our read-through of Mockingjay, reading chapter 25. What happens in this chapter? So the chapter opens with Katniss's half-conscious thoughts and dreams in the aftermath of being badly burned from the parachute explosions. She wants to escape into morphling and death as both the living and dead visit her. She receives skin grafts and physical therapy, but cannot speak, caused by the trauma she's endured. She takes to wandering the rooms of the mansion and stumbles upon Snow's greenhouse of roses. Paler lets her in and Katniss finds a rose she wants to put in Snow's lapel pocket before she carries out his execution. So Katniss. (laughs) (laughs) But she finds that Snow is in prison there. He says he's sorry about the death of Prim and explains that the Capitol didn't drop those parachutes on their own kids right before they were about to surrender. Coin and Plutarch did. Katniss is brought back to a memory with Gale and Beatty in special weaponry when they devise bombs just like those. Katniss finally speaks, saying, I don't believe you. And the chapter ends with Snow saying, I thought we had agreed not to lie to each other. That's a rough conversation. Yes. As <laughs> Gaz Khan would say, there's been a revelation. <laughs> been a few revelations yes (laughs) i just i mean we'll we'll get into what we're gonna get into but the fact that he starts with oh let me say i'm sincerely sorry about your sister like you're not sorry shut up snow (laughs) i'd be so mad (laughs) yeah who's lying now yeah yeah well well, let's get into it then what's your striking moments I thought it was interesting, just a little thing, that the chapter opens with her saying, real or not real, I'm on fire. I put that too. Yeah, the fact that she's kind of internalized this process. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was devised by Jackson for PETA to be able to try to determine what was real and not real because of what what had happened to him. And now, because of everything that has happened and piled on top of piles of trauma and stress and horrors she's finding that she has to do the same Mm -hmm. and i also think it's really terrible but great how prim isn't confirmed confirmed dead for almost three pages because it starts with the agony the only thing that she can feel and experience and and I love how realistic that is it's not that like if you literally are on fire from bomb explosions you're not in the back of your mind going to be thinking something about your sister Mm -hmm. like all you can experience is the immediacy of that pain and suffering so I like that it starts with that because that is the human flesh and bone experience you know and then is slowly kind of, even for herself, coming to terms before she can think the words. So yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. That's interesting. I had a bit of a different perspective on it, Mm. where I saw it as Prim's death is, of everything, the reality that she is unable to come to grips with. Mm -hmm. That despite all the tortures and everything that's happened to her in the past, this is the thing that becomes a break in her reality 
where, especially with this agony, this physical pain that she's also going through, she's also going through this mental anguish. And that, yeah, it takes her some time to be able to even process that Prim is dead and that she's lost her sister. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though, it's like, she literally saw it. It wasn't even the news that she had to yeah. be given. It said, I saw my sister become a human torch. You mm-hmm. know, she she knew as soon as she could remember that seeing that once she woke up from unconsciousness. Yeah, she would have known. Yeah. Yeah, and the last thing I was thinking about for this section is that she calls herself a fire mutt. Mm. Again, it's that language of the games that has just completely saturated her reality and understanding of things that we would never think in terms of that because we haven't had to grow up in a situation where, yeah, language of the games is just so saturated in our everyday life and the structure of our life as well, right? Because it's it's an annual thing. It marks time. And not only that, but then there's the annual victory tour. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it is... A, it's not the holidays, you know? It's like, oh, it's a new year. You know, it's like there's a new games every year. And so I remembered in book one, I pointed out that Katniss had said to Peta about Foxface that she was his kill, you know, so it was like this language of the games. And I think it's really great in writing terms that Collins has carried that through, that she still has this language and understanding of reality through the lens of the games. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's it's tragic, right? Because now she sees herself as this altered twisted creature yeah. instead of a person that isn't completely defined by the scientists behind the mutts and, and things like that. I mean, and maybe maybe the mutts aren't either, but it definitely seems like a very negative, dehumanizing thought towards herself. Absolutely, yeah. But on this read-through, I have noticed more, especially with the lizard mutts, how... Even as they are monstrous, we've talked about what their experiences are like and to what extent they have agency and, and yeah, and, and for her to relate to those mutts by the way that she, as the Mockingjay, was created as this bird of fire and mm-hmm. how those flames here symbolically and physically have engulfed her and Mm -hmm. led to her agony so that she could be a tool for other people's goals and agendas. Yeah, I think that this read-through really made the use of mutts throughout the series much more impactful for me Mm. because we see them as another piece in the games, another living piece in the Mm. games that I never really saw them as before. Absolutely. I didn't either until we were thinking about PETA and how he has been hijacked to be, quote unquote, programmed to kill her in response to certain things. Yeah. And juxtaposing him with the, the lizard mutts is 
yeah, really interesting. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it ever before. I just think that the whole the whole first few pages of this chapter are just so well written mm-hmm. of how the Mockingjay and the games and the emotional and physical experiences are all like intertwined yeah. here. And you were you were talking about a piece in the games and she used the language I am Cinna's bird mm-hmm. ignited flying frantically to escape something inescapable. And I think, yeah, that really encapsulates how she's feeling in the moment. Like, we as readers know she's had agency or she has exerted agency in places where they're constantly trying to limit it. But how she's feeling right now is that all of these things have happened to her, to her sister, almost pointlessly, you know? She volunteered to save her sister, and in the end, yeah, I I get how she would just feel like it's all just a piece in, you know, in yeah. these games. Um, that even Cinna is a pl- was a player in. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't in yeah. the same way. Like, she didn't choose to start any of this. Exactly. Her sister's name was called. That was the decision of the capital. Mm-hmm. And she reacted to it in this brave, bold way. But, like, all of the horrible things that have happened were all started by someone else. Yeah. And all of the new, different, revolutionary things that have happened have been propelled by her and others like her. But... At the moment she's in, she can't celebrate the change. She can't celebrate the fall of the capital because of what's happened. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But what about you? What are your striking moments? Well, one of the other ones that I was thinking of was how we see her, as she's trying to process, go back to what this book started with, where she kind of tells herself facts about herself and mm-hmm. about her life and... Part of that is that she doesn't just, you know, say the same things, but she adds, I brought down the capital, mm-hmm. which I think is such a fascinating part of her self-identity because in the depths of her agony, of her despair, that is not something that lifts her up. It is a fact of life. Mm-hmm. It is something that she uses to ground her in reality more than it is to celebrate or to mm-hmm. be victorious about because she's lost so much. Yeah. And yeah, I just think that's a fascinating way of, of utilizing that. I think also it's an interesting way of showing her isolation because mm-hmm. she says, I brought down the capital as if she yeah. did it entirely on her own. Um, and especially after we saw all the failures of her assassination attempt. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting for her to kind of claim that here. And yeah, I don't know. It just was a moment that really kind of made me think a lot about what Katniss was going through and how she was thinking about the situation and herself and what victory means for her in that moment. Because Mm -hmm. frankly, it seems like it means very little. Yeah. Because it cost her so much. Absolutely. Well, and and one of the last lines of this chapter before she says to Snow, I don't believe you, is 
there are some things even I can't survive. Mm -hmm. Like, if the reality is that this new government is going to be just as bad or similar or, you know, would do these abominable things, you Mm know, uh, it was all a waste and her sister's dead. Yeah. I mean, that's not true, but that's how it could feel, right? Exactly. Yeah. Not, I brought us freedom, not, I brought Mm -hmm. us liberty, but I brought down the capital. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. And I mean, she is so isolated. She mentions people coming in to talk to her, but she can't speak to them and she doesn't want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The people who are closest to her aren't there. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's Hamish, but, you know, Hamish is (laughs) Hamish. But Pete is not there. Finnick isn't there. Gail's not there. Mm -hmm. And any of the people who experienced some of the most recent horrors with her, none of them are there. Yeah. And none of them can understand really what she's going through right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, my other striking moment was how in their discussion, Snow reminds us, the readers, how District 13 stayed out of the rebellion for 75 years. Mm-hmm. How he brings that up as further evidence behind Coin's plans and manipulations. Mm-hmm. And in reading the book this carefully, it made it so much more clear the connection between that and Katniss's earlier anger about that from District 13. Mm-hmm. How she herself saw it as an injustice by District 13, that they would allow the other districts to continue to live under the capital's oppression when they had some power to challenge it. Mm-hmm. There, it was very much framed as Katniss's kind of righteous indignation against a complicated situation. Mm-hmm. And here, I think by having Snow kind of confirm it here, it gives, that in and of itself gives Snow's suggestions of coins calculations more validity because Mm -hmm. he's building off of conclusions that Katniss already has made. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I had made those connections in previous readings, but I know that now that made this conversation much more powerful because it was tied to Katniss's earlier thought processes. Yeah, that's interesting because it's someone that wasn't affected by the oppression, Mm -hmm. uh, negatively affected by the oppression of the Capitol, who's also on the same page with her in terms of their conclusions, uh, which is, yeah, it's interesting to give further weight to, yeah, the fact that District 13 was just there. Mm-hmm. Uh, for 75 years. Yeah. And I think it also reframes it as not just that all of District 13 refused to do this, to the leaders of District 13 made choices. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that these were calculated choices that did ultimately put them into the most favorable position. Absolutely. And it kind of brings me back to earlier in this book, too, when we were talking about Paler making some comments 
that kind of implied that they're only going to receive any aid that COIN approves. Yeah. And I had forgotten at, at that point that District 13 medics had gotten killed in that bombing of eight. But District 13 soldiers weren't sent in. Mm-hmm. So now Snow's comments about the Capitol and the districts are taking the brunt of the violence and destruction and 13 is going to walk in at the end and and take power of what's left. Yeah. Yeah, but that actually kind of brings me to my first from another point of view, if oh, we want to go there. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, so this is where we're looking at a point of view other than Katniss's that mm-hmm. we are thinking about in this chapter. And so one of them is coin. Okay. Because of what Snow was saying, you know, he made a mistake of watching Katniss and she was watching him and Coin had this plan to keep her and her own people relatively unscathed. And so I was just thinking about her planning because she is very calculated. (laughs) She holds firmly to her beliefs and if this is her plan what would the conversation be like when she and maybe Plutarch or whoever was deciding to use those parachute bombs Mm. so I was just thinking about her making this cost-benefit analysis Mm -hmm. thinking about The benefits being that if we use these bombs and we use them on the capital people and we make it look like the capital is dropping these, then the psychological (laughs) response is probably going to be that the capital citizens will want to surrender, will turn against their own government more than maybe they already have. Or if they were holding on by (laughs) a thread of hope and the capital protecting them, the capital being on their side and things like that, like that's gone now, right? The, yeah. Any loyalty that would be remaining to the capital and that structure is, might just disappear, right? Mm-hmm. So then there would be fewer casualties leading up to a surrender because you wouldn't need a surrender in the same way. It wouldn't be waiting until President Snow decided, okay, and we know President Snow is stubborn and proud and all of these things. So mm-hmm. he's saying, like, oh, we were about to surrender. Who knows if that's true? Right. I don't know. He was using children as a human shield, so we don't know. And so in Coin's perspective, it's like, okay, if there's fewer casualties prior to surrender, if there's less resistance from capital citizens in a post-District 13 takeover... Maybe it also could help people from the districts feel a little more okay with everything they've lost because there's a final reminder of how horrible the capital is, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if that would actually be true, but it could be an idea. Yeah. And directly related to what you were saying, the anger that people probably still in the districts have towards District 13, Mm -hmm. staying out of all of the horrible conditions of oppression under the Capitol for the past 75 years and pretending that they didn't even exist. 
when they were the ones who had started the war. That anger, just because the capital has fallen, isn't necessarily going to go away. But if you have this final aired live demonstration of how terrible the capital is, seeing District 13 come in, take power, would so much more likely be a exciting, victorious, joyful thing, right? That would be celebrated rather than why are they getting power? Yeah. You know, you see another quote-unquote strong entity come in to yank that power out from the hands of somebody who would do something so terrible, mm-hmm. like not only bomb their own children, but also the medics that came in and that that would have a weapon like this. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was just thinking about her. Not that that it's the right decision. (laughs) It's a horrible decision. But it may be being a smart decision, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Even if it's completely unethical. I was also thinking about her maybe having the added benefit of, oh, well, if Prim's going to be one of the medics, maybe this will push Katniss over the edge to the point where she's not she's not in a mental state that would allow her to really throw her support behind anyone who wasn't coin or to oppose her because she knew before Katniss even went into the battlefield that she was not in a great state she kept having being in and out of the hospital sedated had been injured multiple times and she allowed her to go in anyway and then send PETA. So clearly it's like, okay, she's not dead and we can't kill her now. But yeah, if she's not in the state to engage politically in any way, to be like, no, I don't support COIN. I support someone else that would benefit COIN. I mean, and and if that was behind her, her ideas, I mean, it worked, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe for COIN as ruthless as these decisions she made were maybe she just sees it as the cost that it takes Mm -hmm. to overthrow the system because it mentioned that she lost her family Mm -hmm. in whatever the epidemic was in district 13 so maybe she just sees it as this is the cost and i paid it Katniss can pay it. Anyone can pay it and should pay it if it will lead to this equal system that I'll create. I don't know if she struggled with the decision or if she's gotten to the point where it's like, this is war and we make the decisions we're going to make. It's all killing and horrible. So it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. It's just whatever's going to be most beneficial. Yeah, that's interesting. It's fascinating that this book has us spend so much time with Coin, and then for her to be shown to be villainous in a way that overlaps with Snow's, at least in some ways, mm-hmm. but then also comes from very different perspectives and background. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. The act of using those bombs is 
pretty similar level of evil in that realm of, yeah, using these kids as human shields, right? Yeah. I suppose we could compare Snow and Coin and say that their motivations are actually quite similar. Mm-hmm. Because at least Snow likes to think that he's doing all of this to maintain order. Right. To not have the chaos that would ensue without these tyrannical structures in place. Yeah, both of them assume that them being in control is what's best for society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that in Coin's case, at least in District 13, it's probably pretty accurate. Maybe not 100%, but they've been able to survive because of how communal they've been. Mm-hmm. Because of how equal their society's been and they don't allow hoarding and they don't allow greed to really enter their their cultural uh functions whereas greed is entirely (laughs) saturated in the capital's structure and as much as snow would like to believe that it's just about order and maintaining control it's not just about that he has as a foundational idea that people from the capital are better than people from the districts Mm -hmm. and that gives him the divine right (laughs) to rule this way and to have this inequality and greed being such a central part of that. Whereas I don't actually think that Coin believes that District 13 people are better than everyone else in Penham. But I think she believes that their way of doing things is better. I I think that Coin believes that she is better than anyone else. (laughs) Because I think that, like, she's sure she has these kinds of communal aspirations and things like that, where she doesn't have that greed, but where she goes against that ideology is in hoarding power, in trying Mm -hmm. to kill Katniss, or have PETA kill Katniss, because she's a threat to her power. Yeah. Right? That's not communal. That's not Mm -hmm. egalitarian. And so I think that that comes down to, yeah, Coin having the arrogance that that Snow also has, Mm -hmm. that only she can actually make good on these plans or these aspirations. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And then, interestingly, that kind of leads me to my second, from another point of view, which is Snow. Hmm. Because I was kind of just having this question of why is he telling Katniss these things? Just kept circulating in my mind. So I was really trying to see Could there possibly be any compassionate reading of him here? I will admit that I failed. (laughs) (laughs) Because at first I was like, okay, could he be telling her this to help her? He is coughing up blood. Clearly he is near death. He is imprisoned. He knows he's going to be executed. Could it be, okay... The jig is up, you know? I don't have much time left. This person is probably going to be used again in this new system. I'll tell her this because it could benefit her. And seeing her with, as she described it, her patchwork skin and how damaged her body is from this war, could he see her and 
feel any compassion, feel any remorse. But I just couldn't get there when I was when I was trying to be like, okay, he's he's looking at Katniss, who looks this way, this small, what ninety pound girl, completely burned and sewn together, and all of these things. But when I was trying to be in his perspective, the only thing I could feel was revulsion. Mm. Because he cares so much about beauty and Mm. perfection, in quotes. And he even has that terrible racist dig. (laughs) Nothing says perfection like white, Mm -hmm. right? He, He cares about status, about opulence. We know this from Songbird and Snakes. Having boiled cabbage soup is an affront to him because this is like a peasant sort of meal right Mm -hmm. and so there's nothing that i could think of except revulsion at what she looks like that he doesn't care what happened to her he blames her for looking that way for what she's done he sees her causing this to herself because of what she did with those berries. Mm-hmm. And because of what she's done since then to be this Mockingjay and rebellious. And so I really think that what Katniss said, he will go to his grave trying to destroy me, as completely accurate. Mm. That he was telling her this because he wants her to know that the new government won't be that different from the last so that she'll have to live with the thought that this was all a waste. Yeah. That her sister's death was a waste. That everything that's happened to her and all of these different people that she's loved, that it was all a waste. Because now you have a new tyrant in charge. Not only will that potentially eat away at her and destroy her, which he would love to know before he dies... Also, maybe it'll help her undermine the District 13 government so it'll fail. Because if he can't be in power, and even if he's dead, if the legacy of his system isn't upheld after his death, he just wants it all to burn. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's where I was. I, I couldn't... Having been in his perspective for Songbirds and Snakes, I couldn't really understand his motivations there in any other way yeah but i mean that i think is one of the best pov segments we've had because i think that you do a really great job of actually highlighting his perspective his paradigm how he looks at the world and the way that that would come into play in this scene and what would be going through his head so yeah that was really illustrative Oh, thanks. I'm glad it's, it's, uh, but that's snow, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's snow. <laughs> so if, if we end with a uh, feeling, it's probably correct. Yeah. <laughs> we can feel his bloody breath on the back of our necks. Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. But what about you? Do you have a more uplifting point of view to share? <laughs> I have one that's kind of uplifting. I was thinking about Delhi. Oh, yeah, Delhi. Coming to visit Katniss because 
In particular, I thought that Deli was probably coming to visit PETA. And and she visited Katniss while she was there because Katniss has a number of visitors coming in, none of whom she particularly wants to see, really, or Mm -hmm. who are able to see her in in helpful ways. But Deli, I think, would also know that PETA doesn't have anyone to come see him other than Hamish. Yeah. And so I mean, maybe Johanna, but we don't really know where she is. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. She hasn't come to visit Katniss, which is interesting. Yeah. So yeah, it just makes me think that we get this just one line that that Deli is coming in and that Katniss doesn't really connect with anything that she says. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> oh, people are so nice. <laughs> but Deli is is doing what she can to be present for those who she sees as people she can help in some mm. way. And I think that's really nice. And people that she cares about. Yeah. Yeah. There's so few people who've made it out of District 12 that she would have relationships with. Mm-hmm. And these are two that she does. Yeah. And yeah, of course she would spend a lot of time there. Yeah. 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 So that's nice. But the perspective that I spent more time thinking about was Paylor's. Hmm. Because um, we see how Paylor is commanding her troops within the presidential mansion, how she has her troops let Katniss enter the conservatory or the greenhouse uh, to see snow. Although I would, I mean, I know that Katniss thinks of them in terms of soldiers, but I would prefer to think of them in terms of rebels because they haven't had training. They haven't gone through boot camp. They haven't... Uh, been forced to conform to this hierarchical structure and shave their heads and, you know, do all these things that's supposed to kind of weed out individuality. True, but they're still following the hierarchy of having a commander and things like that. So when I say troops, I don't necessarily mean that they're part of the military. In fact, I think that's one of the important parts of what I wanted to talk about. Oh, okay. Because... Cool. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just setting you up. (laughs) Because... For one, there's just the fact that she comes to Katniss's defense when these two guards are saying that Katniss can't go through. Paler comes in and says, no, there's nothing in here that Katniss shouldn't be able to have access to. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of that is probably coming from the knowledge that Katniss, you know, came to eight and then how she stuck up for the people of eight, how she fought back against the bombers, how she made that impassioned plea, and Paler was able to see directly how she was affected by being with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we talked about earlier in the book how people would want to follow Katniss when they see her being sincere, and Paler was able to see that. So I think that is probably an element, but also I'm sure she knows what happened. I'm sure that that if Snow knows what happened to Katniss's sister, Paler also is going to know what yeah. happened. So, you know, she can see how someone who so much of this story and so much of these rebellions started by or were sparked by or were encouraged by Katniss's choice to volunteer for her sister, for her at the end of that war to lose her sister anyway, mm-hmm. you know, I-, I can just see how she would feel for Katniss and how she would want to to support Katniss, you know, and, and to make it so that to the extent of her own authority, Paler would not want to limit Katniss from anything that she, she needs or wants to see. Mm-hmm. 
And maybe also because she would have known that Coin had made that announcement that Katniss and the others had died. Mm-hmm. And Snow making these ridiculous comments about, oh, in the end, she was nothing more than someone who could make a half-decent shot with an arrow and, like, you know, was mediocre and couldn't even save herself and stuff. And I can imagine Paler just getting so mad Mm -hmm. because she saw Katniss in person taking down bombers with her arrows and inspiring people and giving people hope and... uh, then having those comments, you'd just be so angry when you think that she's dead and yeah. has died for this. And then you find out she's not. And, you know, I'm sure she would have been going through a lot of emotions there, too. Mm-hmm. And then to see how beat up she is. You know, Katniss thinks, like, oh, she looks even worse than when I saw Paler in District 8. Because mm-hmm. she's taken so much bodily harm as well. And and I could imagine that there would be something there, too. Yeah. that you have compassion for the pain that they must have experienced, uh, the physical pain, because you have too. And then you see someone like Coin, who is no worse for wear, you know? So, yeah, yeah I could see <laughs> that there being a little bit of relatableness there. Absolutely, yeah. And upon further thinking through just this one small interaction that they have and the way that these soldiers are described and, and things like that, it it does make me also see that there's an element in which I think Paler is challenging Coin's new hegemony, mm-hmm. where she is not just going along with a new power structure mm. because she does still have her rebels dressed as rebels. Yeah. She does still have them listen to her authority. She doesn't appeal to Coin's authority or anything like that. She still has their respect, obviously, but also she is able to utilize that and and to give commands through her own structure. And I'm sure she has some sort of position in this new government, but the fact that she is maintaining a visible rebel presence in the palace, in fact, in front of Snow's prison, is, I think, really strong, a really powerful statement that they are not just going to now conform to the expectations or practice of District 13, but they are going to maintain their own identities, their own practices in some ways as well. Yeah, I just think it's in just, a, just a small snapshot of something that is ongoing in this kind of new order that's being established but it highlights some of the background tensions that I think are occurring as the rebels and District 13 and those who remain from the capital need to figure out what this new order is going to be. Yeah, that's a great point. I didn't really think about that when I was reading the chapter, but the fact that Katniss notes that they're not in the gray District 13 uniforms, they're dressed like rebels. Yeah, I think is really significant to support that idea that they're rebels. Mm -hmm. They're not just going to follow a new structure that they didn't even build, right? They're not just going to go home. They're going to continue this occupation, continue this fight for as long as they need to. And symbolically outside the doors of the person who 
was at the top of the hierarchy that they had no say in before. Yeah, exactly. that's great. Yeah. And that they have enough power that they're able to make those demands or to have those positions because it's not just a request. It's not just them trying, but it's them succeeding at mm-hmm. maintaining that presence. Yeah. Yeah. I could also see them being really annoyed that Snow is even imprisoned in his rose oh, garden. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, just so angry as they're sitting there in their dirty bandages and, mm-hmm. you know, everything. The fact that this is where Coin said, ah, oh, you can... You can be here. Absolutely. <laughs> this is your prison. And... and that Paler wants to show Katniss that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> to make sure that Katniss has that full picture as well. Because she knows that she'll also see how absurd that is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, why don't we head into our touch points? This is a section where we see connections between Panem and our own society. So what touch points did you have this week? Yeah, well, one of them goes right off of that, which is the line, presidents, even the most despicable, get special treatment. Right. (laughs) So, mm, Collins, you get me. It's just like, after everything that she has constantly been building and building and building, like, the war is over, and now we're still going to continue to show the inequalities. Just a couple lines to bring attention back to our reality. Uh, It's just, it's so great. Yeah. (laughs) So I was thinking about people imprisoned and how rich people can get different treatment when they're imprisoned versus people who don't have the resources to get treated better. So there's something called pay-to-stay jails. As of 2017, Southern California had at least 26 of these. So basically starting at $25 and going up to $250 a night, they have these programs that can allow certain inmates to move to a, quote, less intimidating environment. Okay. Which is a quote from a jail in Santa Ana that was on their website. Mm Yeah, And so conditions could differ from an eight-person cell to one cell that only has two beds, Mm -hmm. a television, a phone, and a separate refrigerator. So closer to a low-level motel than uh, these eight-person cell jails. Not that anybody should have to be in that. But you shouldn't be able to pay to get out of those conditions, right? And so in a four-year period between 2011 and 2015, Southern California's pay-to-stay jail system brought in about $7 million. Mm -hmm. So not like the most, but that's still... That's significant. That's still significant in a four-year period. And these types of programs became popular, I think, in the 80s. Mm. So over decades, this is bringing a lot, a lot of money. It's not really profiting just from the wealthy. It's profiting from keeping the people who aren't wealthy in horrible conditions so that the wealthy will pay to get out of them. And so as of 2021, 
prisons that have some sort of pay-to-stay programs uh, are in 40 states Mm. in the United States. So, yeah, I was just thinking about that and how unequal and terrible and capitalism and, you know. Absolutely. (laughs) Not even to mention how often politicians don't go to prison for things that they really should be according to the law. Will they send a former president to prison? No. Yeah, exactly. I mean, absolutely should. It would set a great precedent. But let's be real. Yeah. Yeah. The other example I was thinking of was Pol Pot, the Cambodian dictator. Oh, fascinating. I have a different point. Uh, Not on him, but yeah, go for it. Mm, Because he ultimately was taken out of power, but he died under house arrest. So he wasn't in prison, or he wasn't imprisoned in a a jail. He wasn't executed. He died of of health concerns. And he was responsible for the genocide of three million Cambodians. Mm -hmm. Um, Another... Which wasn't that, like, nearly a quarter of the population is... I mean, even without the proportions, it's horrific. But, like, almost a quarter of your population? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Another example that I was thinking of was the Shah of Iran. He fled Iran and he was in the United States for treatment for his cancer. And the U.S. refused to return him to Iran to face trial there mm. after the coup, which is what led to the hostage crisis. Where And this is the, the Shah that we helped put in power, oh, right? Oh, of course, yeah. So, to put oh, back protected. into power. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, in the 79 coup, the Iranian Revolution, he was first held in the United States, then eventually in Egypt, where he did pass away from his sickness. But uh, we, yeah, we refused to send him back to his home country because he would go on trial there for treason because he was a supporter of the United States. And we allowed the Iranian hostage crisis to continue because that was their major demand, was the return of the Shah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's uh, this special treatment for even dictators, is definitely something that that has existed throughout history. Absolutely. I mean, and people constantly are talking about, oh, countries with no extradition, right? Mm -hmm. So people can just flee there and not have to face the consequences of their actions. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and and people going into exile Mm -hmm. is a super, super long tradition. Absolutely. My second point was about the psychosomatic response to trauma that Katniss has with Mm. her inability to speak uh, because there is something called conversion disorder or functional neurologic symptom disorder that is sometimes applied to patients who present with neurological symptoms like numbness, blindness, paralysis, muteness, for which no kind of physiological causes can Mm. be found. But their symptoms trace back to a psychological trigger. After World War One, I, I think this is one of the first times that it's starting to be talked about more because a bunch of soldiers were returning home with symptoms that doctors couldn't find any physical cause for. Mm. And people would call it like a shell shock or a war neurosis and things like that. Like with blindness that came on after some bombings happened and they would do tests and there was nothing with their eyes or or the transmission of signals that should be causing this blindness, but it was there. And also a more recent 
example, when you were talking about the genocide in, in Civil War in Cambodia with Pol Pot, there was an electrophysiologist in Southern California who identified at least 150 Cambodian women with unexplained vision loss that presented itself shortly after witnessing brutal murders mm. in that civil war in Cambodia. And this is kind of compared to around 30 cases in women in the whole of the U.S. at the same time. Mm. So the proportion that this is 150 Cambodian women, we had a definitely a Cambodian population, but compared to all other women uh, in the United States, uh, the fact that they had 150 just in Southern California is incredibly significant. And that their symptoms of vision loss happened after seeing brutal, violent acts. And this was being researched about 10 years after. So this was in, in the mid to late 80s. Mm -hmm. and, and these women had been suffering with this for almost a decade. So that can definitely can happen from psychological, emotional trauma. Uh, which seems to be what's happening with Katniss here. Mm -hmm. Though I think the part that's a little iffy is the fact that she is just able to respond to Snow, mm -hmm. saying that she doesn't believe him because for conversion disorder, there's a lot of treatments that they've tried and it's, it's very complex and difficult to treat, you know. So they've tried hypnosis, psychotherapy, physical therapy, stress management, transcranial magnetic stimulation. You know, they've tried all of these different things and different things work to varying degrees for different people, depending. Um, and so her having no real therapy for dealing with the trauma, but then still being able to speak, I think it's a little iffy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's definitely, like, there's something called, like, deliberate feigning of conversion disorder. So possibly that could be what's happening because she really just doesn't want to talk to anyone. Like, mm -hmm. she she has nothing to say. She can't express anything because she is just in such anguish. So it, that's possible, too. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. But what about you? What are your touch points? Well, I actually had one that was also touching on her muteness here. But it was specifically about the way the doctor talked about it. Because he described her as a mental, not a physical AVOX. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that that was such a illustrative quote. Because it does a couple things. For one, it highlights how Katniss is again connected to another group that has been mutilated and tortured by the Capitol. Mm -hmm. which I think is important. But it also highlights how this doctor, whose name is Dr. Aurelius, a very capital name, <laughs> he has such a simplistic way of thinking about things. And he thinks about being an AVOX as a medical condition rather than a torture, rather than something that's done to these people. He mm. sees it as another kind of prognosis of a physical version of the mental illness that Katniss is experiencing. Hmm. Yeah, I just think that it, it is a 
fascinating way of showing how the perspectives of people in the capital, who are still going to include the majority of the trained doctors and other kinds of expertise, they're not just going to drop those capital perspectives now that the that not snow's been overthrown. Mm-hmm. And of course, it mirrors some of the problems that we have in our own society. Uh, we've talked in the past about the social model of disability, how disability is something that is enforced upon people rather than something that is true of themselves, but it is society that fails to accommodate. But I was also thinking about how there is ongoing data about how women and women of color in particular are not believed by male white doctors in particular, Mm -hmm. how they are less likely to get pain treatment, less likely to have their symptoms taken seriously by medical professionals, and how there is still a great deal of privilege in who has access to those jobs and that, that expertise, and then how that privilege operates with those who they are treating and serving. So yeah, I just I thought that was an interesting line and way for us to see just some small element of how inequalities that have been created through the history of Pan Am are going to be maintained in implicit and explicit ways. Yeah, definitely. It's not like, oh, suddenly you can have a District 12 psychotherapist. Mm, <laughs> like, exactly. It would take years of training. And then speaking of psychotherapy, I also personally really related to Katniss's wanting to fall more deeply into sleep mm-hmm. as she first starts to sense things as she starts to wake up. My own depression, when it hits me, can make it really hard for me to wake up at times. And part of that is kind of a desire to get further into sleep rather than waking, uh, not wanting to deal with reality, but instead to fall into a dream that can still be traumatic, that can still be difficult, but at least is has different kinds of definitions to it than a reality does, and one that even unconsciously or, or semi-consciously I would try to avoid. Mm. So, yeah, reading through that passage which, as you mentioned, is just a, a, an amazing passage generally. But reading how Katniss starts to wake up and how she tries to avoid the reality of wakefulness was just really affecting this time on this read-through. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't relate to that in terms of sleep as much, but when it got to the sentence, something like... But then expectations come. Mm. I'm expected to get up. I'm expected to move my own muscles. I'm expected to eat solid foods. You know, like now there's an expectation of me to take care of myself and to have responsibilities. Yeah. Uh, that part I was like, oh, right? <laughs> like it's just don't expect anything of me right now because I can't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that too. Mm-hmm. Good writing. Yeah. Well, let's head into our next segment. These are our wonderments. What are you wondering? Besides what Johanna is doing, <laughs> I mean, maybe she's like 
working with people from District mm-hmm. 7 or who knows. But uh, Or maybe she didn't go to see Katniss, but she went to see PETA. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But besides that, I'm wondering about the dead coming as birds. Hmm. Because birds are so significant in these books with the Mockingjay and the Jabberjays. But these birds are different than those. She's the Mockingjay who her fire is finally extinguished, which also in the water doesn't allow her to be able to fly up to be with the other dead birds that she loves that are soaring above her. And then there are other birds that are gnawing at her like in the water and so yeah I'm just I'm very curious but um I was also just kind of wondering who the birds were because she didn't name them there were some that she loved which were soaring above and I think the obvious ones would be Fennec and Rue and Cinna and obviously Prim who I think she does. Who's, yeah, yeah. This is the only one that she names. But I'm wondering who else is there? You know, mm-hmm. are there other people, other birds there? Would Mags or Wyrus or Portia, Darius, Boggs be there too? What about the Morphling woman from District 6 or those she visited in the hospital from District 8? Because mm-hmm. there are so many people's faces that she's seen. There are so many people she's interacted with who are now dead. So I was, yeah, just wondering about that. And then I was also wondering about the dead that she's hated. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like that would be such a smaller number. I could imagine Cato and Clove maybe glimmer but who else who else is dead that she's hated are these any of the faces of the people that she's killed Mm. the peacekeepers even as she was running through the capital just in this the past chapter would she put the woman that she shot from the capital in there you know i i don't know so uh, yeah i'm just very curious about that yeah that is interesting what about you what are your wonderments I was wondering about a specific line where Katniss says, there are no more peacekeepers. Mm. And so I was wondering, what is there instead? Mm-hmm. Because at this point, they're going to have to have entire new forms of parts of civil society and foundational parts of civil society, like a legal force, an enforcement uh, mm-hmm. team. And... Much of that's going to have to go through the yeah these, this rebranding as well, where Peacekeeper now is going to maintain a specific image uh, and the white uniforms will be a specific image. And so are there going to be further conflicts like we saw with Paler of District 13's military culture trying to go one way and then rebels trying to, to go another way? Uh, you see, for example, one of the rebel guards struggles with using soldier Mm-hmm. as terminology you know is that something that they are being encouraged to do that they are being required to do mm-hmm. um how much of then would the rebels see a military culture dominating their lives be almost like it's new military occupation yay martial law exactly so yeah i just i find these questions really interesting of what those things build, and we don't get a lot of them. But the slow reading does highlight some of those very small hints of 
how things are changing that just makes me hungry for more. Yeah, definitely. A lot of questions there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, let's head to our final section, our intentions, what our takeaways are from this reading and this discussion. What's your intention this week? Yeah, I think my intention is to just pay a little more attention to what small clues we might get about the current structure of governance mm. uh, and whether that's difference to the old structure or whether that's similarities. Yeah. What about you? I think I'm going to try to take my cue from Delhi and try to do a better job of being present for people, even if that's all I can be. Mm. And whether that's physically present or present virtually or, you know, to, to be COVID safe or whatever else it might be. But, you know, I often think that acts of service has to be the way that I show that I care for people. And then I, I feel bad because I can't I don't always have the capability of writing those acts of service, but Delhi here, I think, is, even if she's not actually helping Katniss much, I think her presence is still meaningful. It's still something that Katniss narrates and reflects on, um, mm -hmm. even if it can't be something bigger than that. So, yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to try to look to Delhi as an example. <laughs> I think we should all look to Delhi as an example. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that's really important because sometimes just connection is really significant for someone feeling supported, especially when they're isolated, at least speaking from experience. I'm mm -hmm. a pretty isolated person because of my own health issues, and that's exacerbated by the pandemic. So just connecting sometimes, uh, just having someone try to connect with you when they can go off and live their life however they want to, and, and I'm much more limited than that, um, can be nice so that, you, you know, you're not the one who always has to reach out or, you know, totally. things like that, yeah. which sometimes you just don't have the energy to do, so you don't. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Okay, that's going to wrap up this week's discussion. So what's happening next time on The Hunger Games? So we are going to be reading chapter 26, second to last chapter, wow. where victors get voting rights. All right. Well, that will be next week. But thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. And we hope that you'll join us on Patreon to get access to all of our special features and to be able to join us for our special live Zoom meeting to discuss Mockingjay. Yeah, it is going to be March 25th at 12.30 p.m. our California time. You can join Patreon, or obviously if you're already on Patreon, we hope to see you there. It's going to be great. Uh, great to talk about Mockingjay as well as the conclusion of the whole trilogy. Yeah. We want to thank Kimberly Kuniko at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com, Instagram, or Patreon. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out! out.